Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Morning. We have ushers passing out Bibles. If you need a Bible, please go ahead and raise your hand and they will help you to have one in your hand. Uh, my name's John or Esh. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It is a beautiful morning. How about these last two days? I mean, yeah, it's summer. We had a friend who just flew in from Chicago or the Chicago area, and I'm, I, she's, she's celebrating right there. <laughs> celebrating. This is a huge gift. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we're going to get into it. Uh, so if you just bow your heads with me. Lord, uh, we are blessed to be here this morning. We thank you for this time uh, to worship together and to uh, come into your presence uh, with others. So may we be aware of you and what you're doing all around us and through us and in us. Uh, bless this time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk about something that we're not, some of us are not super comfortable with, and that's authority. Authority. I had, uh, was talking to John and Jesse in the back there about slides and everything. I said, oh, we're going to be talking about authority this morning. And Jesse's like, I'm out. <laughs> Question authority. People have issues with authority, right? Some of us have some serious issues with authority, but uh, a lot of things might come into your mind when I say that word even. You might think of the cops, um, the authorities. You might think of um, a professor who's an authority on a given subject, um, someone on the news who's an authority on the crisis in the Middle East. Um, or if you're, here's, here's another way to think of it. If you're buying a house, for instance, do we have any realtors in here? No. That's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> wow. If you're buying a house, you, a realtor is like an authority on buying houses. Uh, they know the market. They know when to buy, where to buy, pricing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you might even think of sports authority, <laughs> which is just a store that sells sports stuff. Um, but authority can cause you to be uneasy because we have issues with authority. But if you've grown up in the church, like I have, or you've come to church more recently, what you're beginning to see or have learned for a long time is that this book has some kind of authority. Would you agree? This Bible that I'm holding has some kind of authority. Uh, so this morning I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about, is the Bible authoritative? Is this an authority? What do we mean when we say the Bible is authoritative? And then I want to talk about how we read this again. I, I know we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago when I spoke on Jonah and how we read the Bible, but I want to get back into that because it has a lot to do with what kind of authority does the Bible possess. So, first, if you've grown up in the church, or you have a friend who grew up in the church, or you have a friend who's an atheist, or you've been in any kind of argument in religion, then this has probably come up, right? And as followers of Jesus or as Christians, we often use the Bible as a principle from which we argue, okay? And I'll just give you some real clear examples here. Uh, you might say, it's better to give than to receive. 
and I'll say that to you, and I'll be available after the service. Uh, It's better to give than to receive, uh, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? You've heard that, or like the more colloquial way of saying that is like, don't hit your sister, because you wouldn't like it if she hit you, would you? So there's, there's these principles that we argue from the Scripture. We say, well, you wouldn't do that because why? Well, because it says so in the Bible. You follow me there? But what we do is we take laws, we take social norms, we take morals, codes, and we take them out of the Scripture, and then we subject others to them because we believe the Bible has authority. We would say, you know, it's a really good thing if you would love your enemies, which I think we're actually pretty terrible at, but that's in there, right? Because it's just backwards in our thinking, but in Matthew, it says, Jesus says, well, you've heard that you should love your enemy and hate your, en- hate your enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't really, we don't really do that for a number of reasons. One, we've just kind of gotten rid of all of our enemies. We don't really have enemies in the church anymore because it's not cool to have enemies, So we're okay with everyone until I'm scrolling through Facebook and it's like down with these MFers and it's like some ISIS, you know, article and it's another follower of Jesus. And I'm thinking, well, those are our enemies and you're saying that and that, how do you match that up with what Jesus, and I have those issues too, right? Like I have, there's people that bother me or that I'm angry at or things happen uh, and it's really difficult, but if we're going to hold this as the authority, how do, how do we move forward? Uh, it's backwards to love your enemies, but it's this principle that we've pulled out because the Bible is authoritative. So, many of us here have held this book to be the authority on how to live our lives, uh, especially in what you're sitting in now, an evangelical Protestant church is where you're sitting mostly. Uh, we like to say this is the final authority, okay? But how do we know? I'd argue that most of us in here, if you grew up with this as your authority, believe that it's authoritative because someone told you that it was. It's tradition that has been handed down to you that this is the book. Uh, If you're new to the tradition, you've learned that this is the book, the one they pass out. That's the book. We got to know that book. Study the book. Uh, I've heard it called the instruction manual, um, a list of rules. I've heard um, God's love letter to us. Anyone? Um, B I B L E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Anyone heard that one? Um, Or like I hear my daughter singing the B I B L E. That's the book for me. I don't sing very well. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Okay, so the question we come to, is it authoritative, which begs another question, in which verse in the Scriptures or in the Bible is it written that the Bible has authority? Can you pull out a verse that says, by the way, this book that you're reading, that you're holding here in 2015, it has the final authority. Now, there are some passages in 2 Timothy and 2 Peter that talk about the, the word, the Scripture, being inspired by God and how, the, how the, we ought to interpret the Scripture in 2 Peter. But there is no passage that says the Bible has authority, the Bible that we hold in our hands today, and at least not the authority the way we think about it, okay? 
Now, there's passages in the Scripture about kings having authority, prophets having authority, priests having authority, soldiers having authority, and many others having authority, Jesus having authority, but it doesn't ever talk about the Bible having authority. But I want to look at that word authority. I'm going to say it like 5,000 times. I feel like I've said it already 300. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's right after 1 Corinthians, if that helps, which is after Romans, which is in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 10. So I write these things while I'm away from you, so that when I come, I may not have to be severe in using the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Now the word authority there in the Greek is exousia. Let me hear you. Let me hear you say exousia, exousia. It's a Greek word. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament, and and it means ek is out from or out out of, and and then the verb emi, which means to be. The word's a noun. It can mean power or force or ability, um, but it can also mean authority or dominion or jurisdiction. There's a that's a good legal term for you. Um, exousia, it's a dynamic, active word referring to this, this power to act in different ways, in different situations. And, and by the way, it's also a feminine word. Um, there are masculine and feminine words in the Greek. And this one, authority, is a feminine one. Just saying. Just saying. When we talk about authority of Scripture, we have to remember one thing, that most of us would agree that God has all the authority as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a a famous passage in Matthew 28, 18. You can turn there if you want, or you can hear me say it, uh, where Jesus says to his disciples, all authority, all authority, which for me, in, in the way I understand language, encompasses If you go into the Greek and really into the syntax, it means all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth has been given unto, how would you finish that? The scriptures has been given unto me, Jesus says. All the exousia, all the authority has been given unto Jesus. So let's keep going. When we talk about the authority of scripture, we have to talk about interpretation, right? And we've been, ta- we've been in this whole series on the Bible, and we're going to get a little into interpretation. The Bible has to be interpreted. Um, I remember a guy that, a little story of a guy who's now become quite renowned in, in the faith world. Uh, he, was, he was signing up to go to seminary and had no prior experience of God, was not a follower of Jesus, was not a... He was actually a drug dealer at the time, but needed something to do for a year between finishing college and going to law school, and he, his friend invited him to go to seminary and gave him a Bible, said, hey, come learn about God with me for a year. So he goes, and he's signing up for classes, and they say, well, you need to take Greek and Hebrew. And, uh, and he's like, no, 
I'm here to learn about God. They're like, well, the, amid, the original manuscripts are in Greek and Hebrew. And he's like, manuscripts? He's like, you know, the Bible. The Bible. He's like, I got a Bible. It's in English. I, I, the whole thing's in English. I can read it just fine. I don't need to take those classes. But the reality is, is this was other languages. And people have come to these, these manuscripts in Greek and Hebrew and said, we think that this word means that word. And that's why you have all these different translations of the Bible, right? And we talked a little bit about that. But if someone says to you, hey, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, that's not entirely true, right? Someone interpreted out for that verse to mean that thing, right? Or if someone says, you know what? I just do what the Bible says. That's how I live my life. I just do that. Well, that's not really true either, right? Because if I come up to Richard, I'm like, hey, Richard, how's it going? And we shake hands. And the reality is, is in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So I just kind of blew it right there. I totally should have kissed you, man. But most of us don't do that, right? Or most of you don't have tassels sewn onto the corners of your garments with a blue cord in there, right? And most of you are probably wearing fabrics woven of two different materials. Ladies, you know there's some sort of stretchy material in those jeans. It's not natural. These are all commanded in the Scripture. Don't wear, don't wear fabrics woven of two, two different materials. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Sew on your garments, the corners of your garments, tassels. There'd be a lot of tassels in here. <laughs> but we don't adhere to them. Why? Because we don't think that they're binding on us today, right? Why do we think that? Well, most likely you and I were influenced by someone who interpreted the Bible in such a way as to say, don't worry, those aren't binding on you today. You follow me? Okay. Can you just imagine if someone picked up the Old Testament, by the way, and just started reading and was like, well, they, someone told me this is the instructions. This is the instruction manual. So I got to the, I was reading and it says, when you offer your sacrifice at the altar, and I was, what? We what? We're starting to sacrifice animals now? Right? Like that. So you're interpreting certain things out of the Bible. You've given over your authority or the authority to someone else, to say either a parent or a teacher or a youth leader or a priest or a pastor. Someone you've given the influence to interpret the Bible for you. And that takes trust, right? Now, some people have authority over you just because of circumstances, like a policeman, like the IRS, like uh, the government, right? Others have authority because you give it to them. You hand it off. Like, when you're, like for the realtor, when you're buying a house, you generally hand over authority to your real estate agent, right? Go buy that house for us. They're the expert. They have the authority to go buy your house. You give them the exousia. And by the way, the next time you're buying a house, you can be like, hey, you know what? I'm kind of giving you some exousia and not getting anything in return. And they'll have no idea what you're talking about. And you can just be like, I'll trade you your commission for the exousia that I'm giving you. And you can really mess with their minds, but they probably won't go for it. Now, like I said and touched on, authority is a relational reality. Uh, when people talk about the authority of the Bible, 
what they're generally referring to is the need for you to do what it says. You need to do what this thing says because it's authoritative. Uh, they want you to believe it, obey it, and submit to it. And a, a common phrase that I've heard over the years is the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, now, the, the problem is, is someone told them the way the Bible said something. So, if the Bible said, hey, sew those cor- tassels onto your, the corners of your gar- garments, hey, the Bible says it, you believe the Bible, that settles it. Where are the, where are the tassels, man? Right? So, this is, this is where we go. The, the problem is, is it gets set up as this absolute truth. It's a fixed sort of truth. It has no room to be transcendent, to move beyond, to keep moving. It's like, we interpreted it, we know it, that settles it. Has, has that ever changed in human history? Have we ever been so certain of something as absolute truth and then come a little further down the road and been like, well, I think we were wrong? There's a lot, right? Let's just talk about the earth being the center of the, the, you know, the uni- our universe for the, for the instance. Oh, wait, maybe it's the sun that's at the center and the earth goes around the sun. I thought, no, okay. Maybe uh, the world is flat, for instance, right? Oh, we were sort of wrong on that one. <laughs> so there's, there's these instances where we interpret the Scripture in one way, and then it becomes locked, right? And that what the people want to do is say, oh, it's like this. And so they're taught by their pastors or authority figures to submit to the authority of the Bible, but that's impossible to do without first submitting to the teacher, Right? Because it's relational. Someone told you this is how it is. And the problem, of course, is that sometime along the line, you started reading other things. You went away to college. You started learning more about the world. And you're like, that's actually not how the world is. Maybe there aren't tassels on all the garments. Maybe it's okay to braid your hair. That's in there too, ladies. (laughs) Quickly. They realized that what they were told simply how it is as an absolute and objective way of reality isn't actually that way. And so you feel a little bit betrayed by your pastor or someone who was teaching this to you long ago. The thing is, is it may have been what you needed to hear at that time. It may have been exactly the right thing for you to hear at that point in your life, but it can then move forward. And I'll talk about how that works. Uh, One author, scholar, he says, his name's N.T. Wright, he says, there is indeed an evangelical assumption, and I would consider us evangelicals in here, common in some circles that evangelicals don't have any tradition. We don't have any tradition. We come to the Bible objectively, no baggage, no lenses, just straight at it, no tradition. We simply open the Scripture, read what it says, and take it as applying to ourselves. There the matter ends, and we don't have any tradition. That's gloriously untrue. We all bring a lens to the Bible. We all are interpreting. We're all allowing people to interpret it for us. So, what I want to do is look at two passages here at the end. Uh, You can turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Now, couple months ago or six months ago or so, I was sitting with a friend who was doing a podcast, and he was talking about this verse, and I was so uh, 
taken by it. I was like, this is amazing what he brought out of this, and I want to share it with you. It's, it's in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 21. It's, it's commonly known as um, the spoils of war passage. Um, in my Bible, it says female captives. <laughs> oh, man. Just hang in there, ladies. Now, here is the passage. I'm going to read it to you and try not to throw up in your mouth. When you go out to war against your enemies like you do, right, and the Lord your God hands them over to you and you take them captive, suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman. You're like, she's hot. Woman who you desire and want to marry. You've just seen her, by the way. (laughs) And so you bring her home to your house like you do. She shall shave her head, pare her nails, discard her captive's garb, and shall remain in your house a full month, mourning for her father and mother that you have most likely slaughtered. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. But if you're not satisfied with her, you shall let her go free and not sell her for money. You must not treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. Whoo, ladies, is the blood boiling? <laughs> kind of like, now, this is primitive culture. This is thousands of years ago, okay? This is a primitive culture. And you have to remember that the Bible was written primarily by men, two who could read, men. So, men that are reading this, this is what you do when you take a city or a, or a country and you're, you find, you know, there's a beautiful woman there. What I want you to see here is that for their time, this was a massive step forward in women's rights, okay? Because ultimately in that day, whatever you took was just yours to do, it was property, People, slaves, children, women, animals, whatever it was, was just your property. You could do whatever you want with it. But in this, in this passage, a couple things. One, you shave, you, first, you shave her head. That is a mourning, that is something you do when you're in mourning. In their culture, you would shave your head when you're in mourning. And that immediately acknowledges her as a human being. She's not a piece of property. She's a human being. You're going to shave her head, okay? And you're going to trim her nails, and she is going to take off the garb and and discard it, and she's going to remain in your house for a full month mourning because she's human, and it takes time to mourn the loss of those that you love, right? Then you can make her her your wife, but if you're not satisfied, you don't like how she performs in the house, whatever, then you are to let her go free, which means you give her legal standing, a certificate of divorce, because women in that day when they were discarded, they usually went on to be prostitutes because they had no standing in that day. So now you're giving her legal standing, you're letting her go free. You're treating her like a human. Can you see how this was a massive move forward for women's rights in this day thousands of years ago? Now, have we come a long way since that day? Yes. Do we still have a long way to go in terms of 
women's rights and dignity and equal pay? Yes, we do. But this was a massive click forward. But it was what they needed at that time. But if I come to you and say, the Bible's authoritative, so uh, what do you say we go take San Clemente? <laughs> no. 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 But you can see if you take it out of context and pull verses out saying the Bible's authoritative, then you can totally miss the passage. And what was once a step forward in human consciousness and treating women as women, as human beings, is now a step backwards. The Bible's, that thing's archaic. I can't believe you would live your life by that thing. No, what it was teaching us here is that we have work, we have room to grow still. We're still moving forward. Okay, last passage here. John 5.39, you can, you can turn there if you'd like. John is in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel, chapter 5, verse 39. Just remembering that uh, the Bible, its poems, letters, gospels, accounts, uh, it's written by real people in real places at real times. There was a time when this didn't exist and people were experiencing the world and they were trying to figure out what, what is going on. I need to write down some of this stuff. And then it was inspired by God, breathed into. It's a beautiful gift we have. So, John 5, 39. And this is what we're going to close with, these thoughts here. Let me read it for you. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me for this life, John 5, 39 and 40. One scholar, same guy, N.T. Wright, he says this, the Bible is not an end in itself. It's there so that by its proper use, the Creator may be glorified and the creation may be healed. It's our task to be the people through whom this extraordinary vision comes to pass. That's what he says. It's not the end in itself. And sometimes we get so caught up in studying the Scriptures or proving our own interpretation that we miss Jesus. And they point to Him. He's the one that gives life, not this. And that's a real hard thing for, for some of us to understanding because that's not necessarily how it's been ingrained in our heads. I mean, it's even interesting in the song that my daughter sings, I Stand Alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You know what's referred to as the Word of God in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus is. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul again writes, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not the Scripture. The problem is that when we make the Bible the final authority, we miss out on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Not entirely because this points to it, but if you make this the end, then it gets shaky. The Bible is meant to reveal the final authority. Just like a police officer is not the law, he reveals and interprets the law for you. The Bible reveals, interprets God to us. 
And we need to allow it its privileged place in our lives, but it is not to be worshipped. Only God is worthy of our worship. When you build your church with the Bible as the foundation, you are building it on shaky ground. And let me tell you why I say that. Because I've been to a lot of churches where they say, you know, we preach the Word here. This church is founded on the Word of God. On this, we, we base it, it's a Bible-based, Scripture-based church. And I know what they're trying to say, but the problem with that is that if you show me a church that has this as its foundation, I will show you a church that is going to split. Okay? And you know why? Because people interpret it differently. There are thousands of denominations, right? Because we do this. We, we found it on this. And someone says, well, I think you have to immerse them completely under the water. Well, we think it's okay if you just sprinkle a little water over the baby's head. All right, you go over there, I'll go over here. We think that we're all going to be caught up in a cloud at the end in this raptured sort of situation. Well, we think we're already in the end. You go over here, I'll go over there. And it just keeps splitting and splitting because we're basing it on the Bible instead of on Jesus. Is that Jesus? Is that, it's a relationship with this person who is part of and a revealer of God. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the foundation. That's why Paul says that. No other foundation can be laid except that of Jesus Christ. We're going to disagree on interpretation. But if we could just found our relationship, our church, our community on this person. And Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men. John 12 says, "If if you lift me up, I'll draw everyone. But if you lift this up, you're going to draw a lot of controversy. This is meant to reveal him, not be him. Do you understand? It's a big difference. But it's one I think the enemy really wants us to screw up. If I could just get him to really go into the Bible and make that the foundation, is it any one of the... See, I, I don't notice the enemy comes as like this big devil and, you know, the horns and the whole pitchfork thing, like, here I am, I'm the devil, I'm here to mess it up. I think he comes as an angel of light, and if he can just make it just a little off... The more it looks right, the better counterfeit it is, right? The more it looks right, the better counterfeit it is. No, it's supposed to be, we found it on the Bible. This is what, and so what happens? We split and we split and we split and we split. And Jesus says, you know how they're going to know that you follow me? By the way you love each other. (laughs) And that's why there's verses in there like bear with one another. Forgive each other. And yet, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm going to go ahead and start my own church over here. And so we don't become known for how united we are. We become known for how many different denominations and how we don't agree and how we fight with each other. And we're, we're literally eating ourselves <laughs> instead of going out and being this light that Jesus talks about.
So, my encouragement to you this morning, give the Bible its proper place in your life as a way of knowing God more through the story that He's given to us in the Scriptures. There's very little actually codes of conduct, lists and morals and those sorts of things. This is not so much an instruction manual as it is a grand narrative unfolding of how people understand who God is in the world. That's what it is. It's, it's much more stories, history, poems, laments, accounts of what it's like to try and understand who God is and how He's moving. Read it. Study it. Dig into it. Talk about it. Meditate it. Know, know it. And let it lead you to Jesus. Because He's the one who has that kind of life you're looking for. It's meant to lead you to Him. And it can, because some of the, you know, primary resource literature we have on Jesus is in here, some of His words, and it's only about that much. Know it. Get into it. Let it lead you to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal God more to you. Amen? Amen? All right. I'm going to invite the the worship team up. We're going to go into communion and this is, a, this is a tough subject, the authority of the Scripture. Authority in general. But I think in our day, we want so badly to cling to something tangible that we cling to this. Would you agree? We're looking for something that we can just put in our hands and say, that's it, that's it. And yet, it, it wants so badly for you to reach beyond it, reach through it to a deeper understanding of who God is. And so I hope that that's what this does for you. I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to invite also our, our ushers that are going to do communion this morning to come up, and we're going to, we're going to take communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that is Jesus, and we thank You for the Word of the Scriptures, Lord, Your words in the Scriptures that reveal You. And I pray we would not be so hung up Lord, as the Bible is the final authority, but that you are, that, they would, that those words in there would lead us to a greater understanding of who you are, your love for us, that Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. It belongs to you. And we find that out through the Scriptures. May we give them the proper place in our life, and may they draw us forward to a deeper understanding of who you are and what you have for us. And Lord, we thank you for the good gift that you have given us in your body being broken and your blood being poured out. We remember you as we take these elements. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.